Hallo, PJ. Hallo. Hey. Oh, two of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Ah. I love having you guys here. It's so wonderful. Yay. I love having PJ here, my, my lovely partner in life and love. PJ mm, Bastura. That's not at all. Bastura. Bastura. That, that is not the, at all the right no. language. What? No. The, the garbage g- man. Yes. <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, that's funny. Basura. <laughs> no, how, how would it, how would it be said in your actual family history? <laughs> well, ironically, the name was... Ch- so it's a Polish last name, which I think in my family we pretend we're not sometimes. <laughs> it's just not as cool as other backgrounds like and yet an entire side of my family and the last name is uh polak uh-huh. adjacent so when they came over my older family members it was b-a-z uh, so oh. it was bastura and they changed it to make it more american and i was like nobody's thinking bastura with an s is like john smith here but okay <laughs> So yeah, all right, but try living your entire life with the last name of Smith. I would like to point that one out. That's like we as have American one of as those American here. Gets. That's so real. We have a Smith. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. it sounds like someone who planted a flag in a rock. Did you plant any flags like... in rocks, Megan? No, but as far as I know, my family did come over on the Mayflower. So America, I live here. Ta-da! <laughs> they did it. They did it, gang. Hi, I'm Kayla Mason. And I'm Megan Smith. And this is Human, Human Design, Design in Real Time. I'm the founder and CEO of Kayla Care, and as an intuitive human design coach, I use human design to help you get to the root of what's holding you back from living the life you actually want to be living. Human design is a map of your energetic DNA that uses a combination of ancient systems and modern science to help you understand how your energy shows up in the world. On this podcast, we'll be talking with people from all walks of life about how their human design affects their lives and the lives of those around them. Getting your own human design chart is easy. All you need is your exact birth time, and you can go to freehumandesignchart.com to download your own copy. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Human Design in Real Time podcast. We are back today with PJ Vastura, who was previously on the podcast to talk about his relationship with our lovely Kayla. PJ is a 4-1 mental projector, and we are excited to discuss his deconditioning journey. Uh, as projectors are prone to more societal conditioning, it's important for them to have the space and time to decondition themselves. So Kayla, can you break down why this is important for projectors specifically? Yes. So deconditioning is one of the things that a lot of human design coaches, including myself, talk about because when you look at your design, it's giving you a blueprint of the energy you create versus the energy you absorb. What that means is that there are going to be parts of you that are emitted, parts of you that are just innately who you are, and there are going to be parts of you that you take in from other people. 
The process of deconditioning is about allowing the things that you were made to feel shame for. So in your uh, in your defined centers, usually that's shame for being who you truly are. And in your undefined centers, that's shame for not being like the other people in your world. So if a family member had a defined center where you had an undefined, you may have absorbed the idea that you were supposed to be like them, when in reality, you were supposed to be fluid in that space. And on the other hand, if someone in your family, for instance, uh, doesn't believe that emotions are something you should be able to express and you are someone with a defined emotional center, then you might create conditioning around not being allowed to express your emotions, which is very difficult for someone who has an emotional authority. So when we look at deconditioning, the idea is that we are doing the shadow work, we're doing the inner work to process and backtrack. Where did this come from? Why did I learn this thing? And how can I unlearn it? How can I learn something new? So in the case of emotions being repressed, I underst- I'm understanding that so-and-so in my family wasn't comfortable sharing their emotions and made me feel like it wasn't safe to share my emotions. Therefore, I learned that it wasn't safe. How can I teach myself that it is safe to feel those emotions, giving myself the space to feel those emotions, giving myself the time to feel those emotions? And then over time, you begin to feel safer and safer until you can actually be who you fully are in that emotional space. So this Mm -hmm. works in every single one of the centers in human design. And what human design does is it gives us a blueprint to figure out where this conditioning might be living. So the reason that projectors have such an intense experience with deconditioning is because being a projector, and this goes for other non-energy types as well, that's manifestors and reflectors, being a projector you have an undefined sacral center. I also am a projector, so I also have an undefined sacral center. The sacral center is a center that 70% of the population have defined. And that sacral center, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, is where sustainable energy comes from. So the concept of hustle culture, the concept of working to make a living, the nine to five job, the concept of being able to work hard and hard work equaling success. These are all things that live within a defined sacral center. All of those things are at the core of our society. The idea of working hard, the idea of making sure that you are providing for a family, that you are being involved in what it means to create things for humanity. These are things that are very deeply ingrained in us in a societal way. So projectors specifically have a really hard time with having to decondition this part of us that is so innate for 70% of the population. So deconditioning often with projectors is something that needs to happen away from other energy types. And if not completely away for an extended period of time, in a place where you can have actual space. Because every time a projector is in the presence of a defined sacral center, not only are they able to use that energy and feel like they are totally able to like jump on and have all of that energy and are likely to burn themselves out. Um, But they are also likely to feel shame when that person leaves the room and suddenly they don't have that energy anymore. 
So the more you as a projector get to learn what your energy actually feels like, what your energy actually looks like, and how that actually feels, the more you're going to be able to do that deconditioning. One of the main things that I want to bring to light in the conversation we're going to have today is the amount of time that it often takes to decondition. So Mm. often when someone gets into a coaching environment and they're like, I understand now, here's my human design, I'm fixed, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) One, the concept (laughs) of being fixed, there is no such thing as being fixed. We are not broken. Being conditioned and having conditioning within our bodies and within our minds and within our souls is not being broken. All that means is that we've created a survival instinct to allow us to thrive in the environment that we were placed in, whether that meant not showing emotion because it wasn't safe, whether it meant being like everybody else because it wasn't safe to be different, whatever that meant, it was a survival mechanism and it is not bad. It is just something that you've done to keep yourself safe. So deconditioning is the process of learning how to be safe within yourself. So when we look at the amount of time that it actually takes to do something like that, we're looking at years. There are certain things that can happen over a period of weeks, over a period of months. There are going to be certain things that are aha moments. There will be epiphany moments for sure. But the journey that we're going to be talking about today, PJ's journey as a projector who has been working on his deconditioning process for a couple of years now, we are talking about a two-year process so far. And that's not, and it's not over, you know? Well, you know... They, they say practice makes perfect, but really practice makes better. Practice That's why they put better. erasers on pencils. Ha! <laughs> I love that. Um, but I want to turn it over to PJ. First of all, PJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast again and sharing this journey with us. Can you tell us what it's, uh, what it's been going on for the last two years uh, since you've started your deconditioning journey? And what does that mean to you? I So it's interesting because as Kayla was talking, I was really thinking that while from 2021 to 2023, things have been so drastically different from if I was looking at August of that year to now, how drastically things are different, my mind immediately goes to how drastically things are from five years ago to 15 years ago and how I think that was you made an excellent point of how sometimes there are epiphany moments sometimes the growth is all at once sometimes it takes a very long journey and I think the big thing is on this journey I find myself reverting constantly the healthier I get the younger my brain is becoming. As in, I feel like the most powerful, youngest version of myself, who I always go back to, was this middle school, high school, unafraid of anything, um, had just optimum energy, and just didn't really tolerate anything that I felt was less than serving me. Mm. While not being ignorant and arrogant about my needs and my wants, but 
I was prioritizing myself and doing things that I actively wanted to do. I think in 2021, having just had to leave the year prior New York City after it took my entire lifetime towards the end of my 20s to get there, and then having to come back home was a huge blow to me because even in living in California now, and I love being here and the weather is incredible and there's so much to love, it will never represent, no matter how long I am here, it will never represent what New York City was to me. Mm. New York City for me was life-changing. So leaving that in 2020 and then in 2021 being back with my, living at my mom's house with my brother and my sister very close by and my older grandmother, it was a huge blow. And then fast forward to now, I'm a completely different person. I don't even recognize that person because things have changed so drastically brain chemistry wise, my surroundings and just my overall way of how I look at the world. Mm. Can you take us on the journey of the actual events that took place that you feel like you're going to be talking about in this in this episode, starting back, you said about five, five, six years ago, what are the things that happened for you kind of in trajectory so that the audience understands where you're coming from when we talk about your journey? Totally. So I'll outline this timeline as like, I'll try to navigate it as succinctly as possible, just so you get an idea of like where I'm coming at growth wise. So when I was 25, I was in a car accident. The next year I started taking classes in Manhattan. A few years later, I moved into the city and spent two and a half, three years, I think we were living together in the city, something like that. 2020, COVID happens. Now that coincided with, I had just started working with a couple of different companies where I basically had work lined up for the entire year. And in an instant, that goes away. I have to move home. I'm living back with my mom, my whole family, as I had just talked about. And I pick up like the duties that I had when I was younger and all the emotional weight and baggage and turmoil that I had when I was younger was back again. And being back in a small town that quite frankly, I didn't want to be back in and that I'd been trying to escape since I was about 10 years old. And now I was finally at a point where I could acknowledge it. Um, doing what at the time I thought like was just necessary kind of getting through COVID. And I was one of those people who at the beginning of COVID had all these ideas and I'm going to finish this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn four languages and I'm going to, you know, be able to just decipher the Dead Sea Scrolls and all these things <laughs> that I just, wild aspirations, become the world's greatest lover, cure cancer, all this stupid shit that I really thought I was going to like, I just, I was like, I'm going to make this the most proactive time of my life. I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. No, I ate more takeout than I had in the previous decade. I was watching Australian like TV shows till two in the morning. I was, I was, I was falling back into a depression and I didn't even know it. And mm -hmm. COVID was not the healthiest time. And that whole journey, I think really incentivized and was a final point of totality where I was like, I have to get the hell out of here. This place is no longer healthy for me. And everyone who was close to me knew that. Like they knew my life is not supposed to be work the nine to five in the small town you grew up in. That's never been who I was going to be. And so then last year, you and I 
came out to California mm-hmm. and it was a very tumultuous journey. It was, there was <laughs> so much chaos. And while we were enjoying and loving being in California, we really, as we were pursuing house sitting and pet sitting together, we really didn't understand our worth or what we were doing. It was a brand new adventure for us. And it was just very chaotic and stressful. And we dealt with a lot of people who were filled with bad energy. And we were just really trying to enjoy California, but survive at the same time. And really last year represented us escaping our past lives and beginning our new ones. And I use escaping very purposefully. Um, It felt like we were fleeing, like we were both actively trying to get out. I love our families. I think they're wonderful people, known them a long time, good people, but but I knew when we were coming back out here, especially this year, and when people talk hesitantly about like what we're doing, because it is a very uncertain situation and we have to deal with, we have to navigate things very differently. So we travel around primarily this year, Los Angeles, but we house and pet sit. So every couple of weeks, we're at a different house sitting. So we don't have our own apartment out here. And last year, that was chaos. And this year, it's been a godsend because we have grown into our own energy. And we have found like-minded people. And we have been rewarded with an incredible last several months. And the rest of the year is lining up impeccably. And just to finish that point from earlier, the more people I talk to who don't understand our journey or are supportive, but kind of like in a hesitant way, the more confident I feel. Because I know there's probably 5% of the population who could successfully navigate what we're doing because we looked at this with a lot of tact and why this makes sense for us. And both from a living health lifestyle perspective and a financial perspective, and we made that decision. And this year has been brilliant. And fast forward to this year from my own journey and where I am now, I feel a a self-confidence that I have not felt in probably two decades, truly. And because I've had a lot of one-on-one chats and conversations with myself and why being out in California and being able to hike every day and drive 10 minutes to get to the place to hike is so therapeutic for me and why being able to do that is so vital because it's opened up my brain and why I've always wanted to live in this sunshine for as much of the year as possible because I'm someone who's very much affected by the weather and could not do the six month Northeast winters anymore. So it's, following that progression. And I don't think it's a coincidence either that my best periods of mental health the last five to seven years have also been while I was living in cities. Mm. Because I think that added stimulation of being around as many people as possible is very beneficial to me. Because I feel like I have a life where I absolutely need to shut down the engines and go into introvert mode. But then I'm someone who needs extreme periods of extroverted behavior. And I need to be around people and surrounded by people, even if it's just walking amongst them. And that was the thing during COVID. I would just go to the grocery store because that's where people were. And that was like the only access I had to people. Mm -hmm. So I did all my family's grocery shopping. 
And now it's just looking at myself and the conversations I'm having and the way I'm handling things in every facet of my life is just so different that sometimes I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience because it feels like a younger version of me is talking and not the me who was going through my 20s and was not in a great place mental health-wise. Mm. Who's in good mental health in their 20s? I mean, come on, honestly. No Nobody. One. <laughs> no Nobody, one. truly. No one. If you're in... In summation, yeah, nobody. No, no one is. No. Yeah, I feel like we're not supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, we're figuring no, a whole lot of shit out. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's exactly the point. I was especially going through college, where I think a lot of my problems started. I think I specifically chose a path at that period of my life that was counter to what I am doing, and it's taken me a lot of years of therapy and talking to myself and coming to terms with going to college is not something I should regret or hate or loathe or wish that I had done differently. Because the reality is I probably would have done very well if I just went and started pursuing acting out of high school, but that was not to be the path. And so it was really until 25, 26, and after my car accident where I had to reset my life And I started taking acting classes in Manhattan and commuting three days a week into the city where slow healing started. And then Kayla and I met and we started a relationship. And I was never a long-term relationship person. I was really never interested in finding a person. I never thought that was part of my journey. So all of a sudden I'm having to like understand how to share needs and things. And like baseline, I'm a very good person and understanding and kind and loving, but like, especially when you're dating someone who is very different than you in a lot of ways, there's a lot of like coming together that you have to do and a lot of growth that is involved. And so navigating that and then COVID and then changing jobs multiple times, moving out to California, finding work out in California, and then coming to this point where I am now of really surviving on my own and embracing that and not relying on others and really taking a high ground on everything that is presented to me and really telling myself every day, I deserve the good things that are happening and that that's okay and it's not selfish and it's not arrogant to believe that. I, again, I just mentioned the brain chemistry because it just feels like I am utilizing a younger, if not different brain than I've ever had. Mm, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. So I want to get back to the last couple of years. You were also introduced to human design, hence why we have a podcast mm-hmm. about human design. Got to add that in. Um <laughs> <laughs> How has being introduced to your human design and your understanding helped you on your journey? And when did you first start to trust your human design to help you on this? I think there are a couple of things that I always like come back to that was presented to me early on when Kayla and I were talking about this and she did my reading for me. It's that I'm someone who has to wait for the offer you know, wait for the good thing to come in. And I think when you hear something like that, it's important to understand that 
it doesn't mean become inert. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean like just sit back and don't do anything and put energy out into the universe. That is not the case. The more I'm realizing where for me, it's a self-confidence thing of if I put the good vibes out and if I'm proactive every day and I'm working towards whatever goal it happens to be, then the good things will come. I can't force the issue. Once I have done something, I have to let it go. And that's very difficult for me because I'm someone who, when I was at my least healthy mental health wise, I would be that friend who was texting 50 people like every Monday or every Friday, hope you're doing well. Hope you because I'm like paranoid about how everyone is doing. And I have to constantly be putting energy out there and checking on people and doing those things. I've taken a step back. I do what I can, but good things come more frequently. Mm, yeah. Ironically, the less energy I put out, but it is a more specific energy. So it's, Less is more, but it's more purposeful. And I think that's the big thing is once something is out in the ether and into the universe, it's like, let whatever offer is going to come back, come back. Yeah, and that's been a huge yeah. takeaway for me. It's being patient, but not comatose, which is a problem I've had. Yeah. Being patient, but not complacent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because as a projector, it's about shining your light. Yeah. You know, it's about shining that lighthouse so that everyone can see you. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. Kayla, can you tell us a little bit more about PJ's design specifically? Yes. And, and how that plays a role here? Sure. Absolutely. PJ is what we call a mental projector. Um, so essentially what that means is that he does not have an inner authority in his body area. All of the centers from the neck down are undefined. He has a defined throat, he has a defined mind, and he has a defined head. So we call this a mental projector because essentially the only place that he creates energy is his mind. And he also creates it from the throat. So with that, one of the main things that we discuss in human design is the idea that you are not supposed to make decisions with your mind. You are supposed to make decisions with your body. So having this kind of authority, the mental authority, means that this person, PJ, is not going to actually be making decisions with his mind, but he is going to be able to use his mind to organize information to prepare him for what is coming. And having so much open space on the bottom, and uh, well, I'll invite you to speak on this a bit in a second, PJ, but having all of that open space on the bottom means that there is a level of psychic energy. There is a level of being able to literally feel what energy is coming so that for him, it's not so much a matter of how am I going to make this decision? It's more a matter of how can I prepare myself to move into what I already know is coming? And when he actually leans into that, that is an aligned mental projector. Whereas the conditioned mental projector is living in a space of my mind is the only thing that I have and I need to make decisions with my mind and I have to use this, you know, the patterns and the and the the information and all of these different things. And if I don't see exactly what is supposed to be happening, then it can't possibly be true. 
Whereas when with human design, we then say, okay, well, let's just allow the mind to be the place where you organize that information instead of putting the pressure on your mind to make a decision when it's your body that's actually going through it. So I'd love to hear, PJ, how you have experienced that previously. And as you have been on your deconditioning journey and you've been kind of pulling yourself away from society in order to begin to figure out where your energy lives, how that has been experienced now. Is there an area in particular you think would be like a good example for me to focus on here? Yeah, actually, one of the centers that we wanted to talk about with you specifically is the self-center. So the self-center is all about identity and is all about who you are, who am I, is the question that lives inside the self-center. This is also where love manifests and where the concept of loving others comes in. So with an undefined self-center like you have, you there is a propensity to take on the identity of other people and to uh, then kind of feel this shame for not being able to fit in with others. And as you have moved into, and I've, I've witnessed this with you, but as you've moved into this more deconditioned space, how has that changed? So if you can talk a little bit about how you felt in your identity and the way you felt with others with your identity previously, and then how you've moved into this more fluid energy of being undefined in that space. Cool. So thank you for that. That was lovely. <laughs> um, I think two things. When I was about 11 or 12 years old, I had a dream where basically the dream was telling me that a lot of good things were going to happen in my 30s. And I've always had the premonition that 35 to 40 and then beyond that was always going to be the most productive time of my life, that I wasn't going to achieve much prior to like 35. I had no idea the struggles and things I would endure, but that that was going to be like my timeline. And so pertaining to everything you just talked about, when I was younger, I knew I was different in that I didn't want what a lot of people wanted. I think because I took such an active role within my own family of like taking care of my siblings and running errands and picking up my siblings and just trying to be as helpful to my mom in particular as possible. I was absorbing everyone else's energy and found every excuse possible, especially as I got older and was in high school. And then the moment I started trying to fit in was the moment individually I got crushed because I put aside my own self-worth, trying to fit in, trying to do what everyone else is. I realized that being loud me like opinionated me, wasn't working. So I was like, well, we've got to kind of overhaul everything because my greatest fear for so many years was others not liking me and others judging me or for whatever behavior or thinking that I'm doing something weird. Like this ridiculous thought process of like people were going home at night, sitting down and having a drink and being like, he sucks, doesn't he? What a weirdo. <laughs> Like, he's got nothing. I thought he was smart. He's just dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb. Aww. And that was literally, and I said that to a therapist one time, and she didn't really know how to react. And I was like, I'm not going to schedule next Tuesday. <laughs> uh, like, 
I was like, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to switch seats. <laughs> I'll let you unpack this. And it was a huge issue because I was constantly absorbing. And that was a part of like being someone who wanted to reach out and take care of everybody. And then I get too involved. And then it's doing more damage to me and friendships and the friends like in college that I lost because of like, I emotionally was mature at 10 years old, but then just went through so many potholes on the road of like becoming an adult and becoming a man and all of those things because I wasn't nurturing myself. There wasn't a lot of work on me and nobody, like we were talking about, nobody in their twenties is prepared for that. And I constantly would utilize others to block myself from focusing on my own path because my own path, I was like, it's unrealistic. I, it's why like California acting, like it's all I've ever wanted to be. It's all I've ever like playing make believe and imagination is the thing that has always made me happiest that and making people laugh and just entertaining people. And now I would say the biggest transition into why I'm in such a space now is I really couldn't, and I'm not going to swear. I really don't care what anyone else thinks. And as I'm growing older and more mature, I realize like I don't really have to be combative about that either, which is what I definitely was when I was younger because I live for debate and I live for arguments. <laughs> if someone doesn't understand my life, I could not care anymore because I was not put on this earth to live a relatable existence. And I would rather fail on my own then have to live a life I don't want to lead. I will never be the white picket fence, nine to five, go through the motions, the same shit, sorry, every day <laughs> for the next 50 years. I'm not, I'm not gonna apologize for, I don't want to be someone who's 35 and the next 35 years of their life, there's a corporation telling me I'm worth this much every year. No matter how hard I work, no matter how good I am at my job, it's like, you're worth $80,000. You're worth, I can't do it. I would rather fail living a chaotic, less organized, maybe isn't the best word, but like a less aligned existence sometimes in terms of like consistency. I, that would be the death of me. And that is what was the death of me for years. And even the work I do now, even while there's more volatility attached, any work opportunity I'm presented with, if it's not going to serve me after I've weighed all the variables, I won't do it. And some people will take money and jobs out of desperation just because, and the less I have done that and proven to myself that I can survive on my own, the better I'm doing. And it's taken me 34 turning into 35 years to get to that point hmm. because- you don't want to ever appear like you don't have your life together. And I always thought in the back of my mind, like someone was judging me. And then when I have friends reach out and I realize that the people in my life who I actually care about their opinions are so supportive of me, it's a constant reminder that everything is 
going according to plan. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the big takeaway. I would really love to highlight a sentence that you just said. You said I that I needed to appear to have my shit together. And like I think especially for someone like you who has so many undefined centers on the bottom, this concept of appearances, this concept of being judged, this concept of I can feel into what all of these people think they are, think they need, what they are, you know, think is the important thing. And I'm not living up to that, you know. So I'm I'm curious what things you like what have you done what are the things that you have implemented that you feel like have helped you to uh over the last however many years that have helped you to begin to break away from that fear of the judgment of all of the people in your world i think the big thing especially being the age i'm at now and as someone who comes from like a large group of friends there are very few people in this world who are actively reaching out to people and being like, hey, how are you doing? Just checking in, da, da, da. I'll be very honest. Like when I was younger, I was under the, like, especially as a guy and growing up in the family I did with different people with different mental health issues. I was like, with my friend group, nobody's killing themselves on my watch. I put that pressure on myself to be like, I'm going to make check in on everybody. And the one person this entire time I was not checking on was myself for years. The minute I turned the light back on myself, everything started changing. It's all correlated to not caring about anyone else's opinion mm. and not, and just, it's so weird to say this because I still talk to so many people and love having my conversations with friends, but it's like, I know the three or four people I would reach out to if things went poorly. Like if I needed, an, like it was an emergency situation, I just talk to less friends now as people are getting married and having kids and there are other priorities. And I'm out in California and my entire friend group is on the other coast. And now it's just me out here. And if I'm going to survive out here, it's on me. I'm just allowing my life to unfold the way that would best serve me with no one else's opinions attached. So when I occasionally talk to a friend I haven't talked to in a while and they're like, are you thinking of like getting an apartment like this year? And I'm just like, nope. <laughs> and I can say that <laughs> so confidently. And it's not, it's not that I don't one day want to live in a house and all of those things. It's just like the career I've chosen, the life I've chosen is so different. And 99.9% .9 of people will not be able to relate and, and that's kind of fine. beating yourself yeah. up and that's the whole th but see that yeah. and now that is the journey of acknowledging that it is yeah. okay yeah and it's not just fine it's the only option yeah. the only option is to live i was very afraid for so long of living an, an orthodox life and it had nothing to do with like failing at said unorthodox life it was that I was doing something different and that people wouldn't be able to understand and I would fall out with my friend group and like the people I grew up with. And I think the big sort of come to Jesus moment that I had recently on one of my walks and my hikes in the mountains was 
I think since I was a little kid, I had wanted to escape. I had wanted a different life. And that I was dragging myself through an existence that was quote unquote safe and yet so agonizing internally. And I never let it out and I never showed any sort of discomfort to anyone else because it was easier to focus on everyone else's problems. And now that I'm at this point, everything I do, I just recently broke out of the mindset of like, I have to do this at this time and this at this time and this at this time. And that has turned into, I'm going to wake up when I wake up. My work day is going to be when I'm energetically in the right place. I can work out when I need to. I'll take care of the dog when I need to. I'll go hiking when I need to. I'll go to the movie this day. And it's all okay because no one else is having an impact on my life. No one, it doesn't matter because again, I live in imagination land where somebody's having a conversation with me at home about how shitty my life is and how my decision-making is so bad. So I want to touch on that a little bit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you you basically went from living with a lot of energy and a lot of people. And you've talked about wanting to be around people and, and getting the energy from being in big cities. But what has living alone and finding more solitude and more opportunity to be in your own space and be in your own energy. What has that done to help you to grow out of some of that conditioned space of, I have to care for everybody at all times? I'm, I, I kind of want to cut in here for just a second, just for clarity's sake. Uh, PJ and I live out in California and we were traveling, the two of us, going to every house sit together. And then recently we decided we were going to do separate house sits so that we are currently living in separate houses and doing separate sits so that we're actually getting to live by ourselves. And I feel like it's actually been a very healing journey. So by living by yourself now, that is what is happening PJ and I are currently not living in the same space. <laughs> and also just having more time to yourself, more alone time, space to go on hikes away from the energies of everybody else, right? And, and absorbing all of that uh, energy and conditioning in your undefined spaces. So yeah, definitely tell us what that sort of release has been. I don't feel like there's ever been a period of my life where I've been calmer, where my brain has functioned at a more optimal level where I'm kinder to myself and quite frankly, where I feel more powerful. Mm. The minute I stopped living what we in this country would consider like a regular life or trying to live up to those ideals and standards, the minute I dropped that act, because that's what it was. I was really acting my way through, this is the way things are supposed to be. Or like, yeah. if someone's family member had an opinion on what we were doing being weird, I'd be like, I would get angry. I was like, well, what do they It's like, who cares? And I think with all these changes, I become more aware of time. And I don't want to feel like I'm wasting time. Now, that doesn't mean I have to do some heroic act and change my life every day. But it's little steps leading to success. And like I could say to some people, I've never been more confident that I'm going to be a successful actor. And that could sound like the craziest shit in the world to them. To me, I've never been closer to achieving that. 
And that's all I need. I have been my biggest roadblock my entire existence. And if I just believe I can do something, and when I am alone, and I believe I can do something, and I have the thought process, and I can pump myself up every day, and I can just work my own schedule, instead of like, I have to do this at this time. No, I don't. I can do it an hour later. And especially when I can wake up and have my coffee, go walk the dog through this beautiful neighborhood, go answer emails, take a call, schedule meetings, read a script, all of these things I'm allowing myself to do. And I've made a ton of changes. We literally don't have enough time to go over <laughs> all of the changes that I am making, but is it a continued evolution of growth. And that is where I'm at, where I've never really been before. I've always been someone who's been open to new things and possibilities, but I've never embraced change. Now I embracing change and that we have this space apart from each other. There's just so much more room to expand that thought process mm. and the positivity that goes with it. And you had mentioned this. I'm someone who loves being around people. Creatively, I need to be around people. I crave doing improv and getting back into acting classes and all of those things. And I love going on hikes and just even walking by people and feeling different vibrations and energies because I'm so sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. It's all taking it in and absorbing that. But then I need to shut it down. And being alone and decompressing is key. Do you feel like you're better able to recognize energies that are not your own now that you're not living in that condition space? I think I've always had a, I don't know if you would call it a gift or an ability, but I can sense based on people's body movements, facial manner, like mannerisms, so many things I can take that energy in. And that's being able to anticipate what someone is going to do before they do it. So like when I'm walking a dog in a neighborhood, I'm constantly rotating vision, trying to anticipate this person's coming down this road based on the way this person is walking. They're going to probably do this and that. My brain does that with everything. Mm. And I've also been someone, I've been playing poker since I was 16 years old. And it's a constant game of observation and looking for patterns. And that's a big through line through my entire life is I've been someone who's always been obsessed with games and patterns and pattern recognition and analyzing data. Where I went really astray with my life was I ignored my own pattern and my own data and just tried to put it to the side and do something different. I tried to insert like a different life blueprint. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm kind of back on track, of course, it, it's just a completely different, it's a completely different game altogether. And everything is aligned better. And I'm embracing the things about me that are different. And so people always use the example, I always see it pop up like on Instagram or somewhere of every, like everyone will be, will be on a subway or like it'll be an old photo of everyone on a train and they're all reading a newspaper buried in their phone, whatever it is. And I'm someone who's constantly observing. And I didn't realize how much of a strength that was until now and how I can utilize that to my advantage and just continually telling myself like, it's good you're this way. It fits who you are. It works for you. Yeah. Like it's a necessity for you to be this yeah. way. So now that you 
have recognized this within yourself and have made the changes. What does taking care of people mean for you now? What does your relationship with uh, career, professional, business, and working, what does what is that relationship for you now? That's very interesting. Um, from my friend and social perspective, I just talk to less people. I can't carry on a relationship really with someone who I know the emotional connectivity is not reciprocated. I can't be the one reaching out constantly being like, how are you doing? How are you doing? If it's never reciprocated, I just can't put the effort in. And the reality is when you have a large friend group and then you do what I did and you live the life the way I did, it's like you are going to lose contact with people. And I used to think that was the most damaging thing possible. Like that was a failure on my part. And then I realized like I was the only one reaching out. Like, and if I, the less people I have, honestly, the better I am. And also on that front, it's why, and I know for some people, this is going to be very, you know, it's not the norm, but it's why sort of my closest people and confidants and people I hash out all of my things with are women. Like some of my closest friends are women because I think a lot of my guy friends, quite frankly, are like pounding through the motions right now. Mm. And it's harder to have that conversation and open up about like, no, how are you really doing? I have two of those guy friends and they are absolute like unicorn human Aww, beings. Just like you. Yeah. Yes. And that's why we speak. And that is why like, <laughs> I talk to them with regularity. Not everyone in your life is going to be a, hey, how are you friend? And that's okay. I just realized I have to stop putting out the energy to check on them. Mm. Like if they want to reach out, that's fine. But I can't keep casting that line out emotionally. It's too friggin' draining. And you don't create the energy there. No. Nope. Uh -huh. I, I, it's, it's, yeah. And I don't want to, and quite frankly, I don't want to absorb their energy. Yeah. And the more distance yeah. I put between people who are that different than myself, the better. And then pertaining to like a work situation, we were kind of talking about this um, before we were recording, but I just recently had a job, a, a prospective job offer come in and I was so honest during it to the point of like, well, you know, uh, I don't know if that's going to work or like these things haven't been organized in the past. And I realized like, when I was done with that call, I was like, this felt so good. Like, <laughs> like not sacrificing any ground or momentum and being like, listen, if this doesn't serve me, then I'm just going to walk out of the room. And if people aren't willing to meet your, you know, what you require to live your best situation within that job, then don't take it. And I realized while my life I have friends who are making more consistent money and have more consistent jobs. My level of happiness in that trajectory will always be higher yeah. because I'm not settling for someone else's dream. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to sacrifice my own ambition to make somebody else happy. And then my biggest nightmare right now is like working for someone and then being like, well, why didn't this get done? And me being like, are you kidding? Did you see the emails? Did you see the text? Nobody answered my questions. And then I have working in like a corporate setting. That is a personal hell. That to <laughs> me is like the death of my soul. 
and I won't do it. And now I'm at a, finally at a point where I'm like, I don't have to. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. That self-acknowledgement colliding with where I am now is just the most beautiful relationship possible. And one thing that I want to kind of highlight here is that for projectors, the the self-theme and the not-self theme, so the self-theme for a projector is success, and the not-self theme for a projector is bitterness. And the way that our auras work is that when we are in the success space, when we are in that place of feeling high vibe, we shine a light forward that is like a lighthouse coming out of our eyes, essentially, that is actually penetrating. So we penetrate into other people's auras and can see them in ways that others just can't. And so it makes people feel seen and heard and understood, and they love being in our sightline, in our space. However, if you are living in the space of bitterness, if you're living in that low vibe of I'm underappreciated, I'm not being recognized, I'm bitter, that penetrating aura becomes repellent and you literally start pushing people away. And as a projector, so I, I was just listening to a thing about this. As a projector, this is almost like a defense mechanism. So it's interesting that what we've been talking about, I feel like the number one thing that you did, like the main thing in all of this that you have done that has helped on your deconditioning journey is removing yourself from environments that did not serve you. And projectors are very susceptible to environments that do not serve us. So if you are in an environment where you are feeling that bitterness and you're feeling that that lack of being appreciated, you're literally repelling people and therefore you're not going to get any invitations. That repellent is giving you the space to be alone. It's almost like your energy is saying to you, hey, we feel bitter. We have to go isolate now so that we can stop feeling bitter. Because at that point, you're actually pushing those invitations away. So when you move into that higher vibrational space, that feeling of success, that feeling like everything is, you know, moving forward, moving well, that's the moment when that aura is going to shine your light and people's invitations are going to start coming in. While you were talking, that really triggered a memory of, because there was a very long period of time where I was very aware of like, I don't want people to think I'm this, this, and this. And I was very cautious with how I behaved and met new people. It brought me to a party that I was at within the last two years where I'm very over the top. I'm a ridiculous human. I'm loud. I try to be friendly. If I want to come, like when I meet a new group of people, especially friends of friends, I want to like get along and just like, let's have a good time. Like life's too short not to. And we were at this party and I realized that there were people at said party who were much lower vibration. And I was always afraid of being the obnoxious extrovert, the loud, arrogant, like kind of, the minute you really start hyper-focusing on how others are perceiving you is so toxic. And nowadays, especially, even when I'm walking on the street, and LA is a very fascinating place because it feels like everyone, as you're walking down the street, is holding in a fart. <laughs> And 
especially the dudes all look like depressed models who are going to poop themselves and they can't smile. I'm just like, that's got to be tough. You look like you're going to have a heart, like you are going to have a coronary because you can't smile. And I'm just out there beaming like the bald weirdo that I am because I'm like, I don't care. And you saying all of that just brought me directly to this place where this person was just like lingering in the corner, just being like, "Eh." and I'm like, go home then, go home. You're miserable. You're miserable. Just stop. Everyone consents. I don't want to play. I don't want to do this. I don't. Then you don't have to. But why would you agree to this setting? Yeah. It's yeah. like, I get it. Not everyone thrives in this setting. Oh, but stop yeah. acting like someone just died in your uh-huh. life. Uh-huh. Like, dear Lord. Yeah, that sounds and like I an just, unaligned that, projector those, right there. <laughs> that sounds like a facts. bitter projector. <laughs> and it's those and it's those situations where I used to judge myself. So like, don't get out of line. Don't make them uncomfortable. And I was like, I'm not doing anything to make this person uncomfortable. They're miserable. And dimming my light for others is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't Amen. do it. Amen. You don't know what others are going. You, that's, you don't know what others are going through. And quite frankly, most of the time, it's not your problem. Especially when it's people you just met or you don't know. Or don't try to pick up everyone's emotional and spiritual baggage. Yeah. It's not your problem. If you're treating other people well and you're trying to have a good time and you're not hurting anyone, just keep doing that. And for a long time, I didn't let myself live that way. It was more about don't get out of line than living your most honest truth. Yeah. So how do you support yourself now in this beautiful space that you have found yourself in? And how do you influence your loved ones to support you? On that point, in terms of the loved ones, Mm -hmm. it's my circle continuously gets smaller. So it's my core family members, but then it's the few friends. And again, I'm very fortunate because I have—I would say I have more close friends than a lot of people, than most people. But even for me, that circle continuously shrinking is just so beneficial. Because like when I need to actually run an idea by somebody, even if it's just to see how it sounds coming out of my mouth and brain, having less like cooks, chefs in the kitchen is vital. Mm. And that goes hand in hand with, in terms of taking care of myself, it's just allowing my life to be whatever it needs to be on a day-to-day basis. So for instance, last night I didn't sleep great. I was up at 5.30 AM and I was just like, okay, so let's shift this around. We'll do this tomorrow. It's not everything is an emergency and not every day is a day where you need to be a hero and try to achieve or make up everything that you are going to do at a different point. I'm not going to try to, I think that's the thing where I suffered for years, especially because in this country and in most of Western civilization, so much of your life is allotted amounts of time. It's, this is when you work. This is when you're a good boyfriend or husband. This is when you need to be a parent. This is when you need to be at this. The, to me, the typical norms that we see are soul crushing to me, the way time is taken up. And I loathe seeing videos online of like when they're asking old people, what do you wish you could have done differently? It's like, oh, I would have 
I wish I took more time to do this or travel more. When I, and I was like, dear God, it's a constant reminder to me that just keep doing what I'm doing now. Because I don't want to be one of those people who are 70 or 80 and being like, I wish I did. I never want to utter that phrase. And so my day to day is different every single day. I basically know which day I'm going to go hiking at which spot. And if energetically I wake up on a morning and that changes, I will switch the days. It's like, ah, I'm not really feeling this hike. I need more of a challenge. And it's like, I just go. I don't question it. I just feel the flow and I just go with it. I, When my gut and my brain are aligned, I truly believe I'm invincible. And yes, I judge situations well, if I say so myself. <laughs> and for a long period of time, I didn't trust that though. We were talking earlier about my energy and like what's open in my throat and my mind and everything else. And what I've really come to learn, especially focusing through human design is I am a very heady person. I love the analytical part of my brain and that that works hand in hand and in close correspondence with my gut and with my heart and all of those things. If at any time I am making a decision and one of those areas is sounding alarm bells, I have to step back and ask myself why, because I'm probably ignoring something. Yes. And what's different now is I'm not ignoring anything. If I have a question that I need to answer internally, I, I gathered the board and then we have the board meeting. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I'm just, and that, what that has led to is I'm just the most honest version of myself. And I think the overarching theme is that I am so much more comfortable giving people uncomfortable answers. Often, no. Does this yeah. sound good to you? No. <laughs> no. Do you want to do this? No. That in no way benefits yeah. me. Do you think this would be interesting? Ah. That's yeah. something that I think projectors struggle with a lot because they're, especially when you learn about being a projector, there's this idea that like, oh, I'm supposed to accept invitations. So I'm waiting for an invitation. But you're allowed to say no to the invitation. Just because the invitation has come in does not mean that you need to follow it. You need to check in with your inner knowing in order to figure out what is most aligned for you. So off that, I've realized over this, especially this journey that we've had out in California and this year, I've turned down a couple of different work opportunities with companies that either got my contact information from someone we mutually know or I've worked with in the past because I would rather work three or four different part-time jobs and have that energy spread out than work for one company that just kills me mm -hmm. internally yeah. and where it's just draining. And I come, I've worked so many jobs where I would come home and you know this too, like where I would just come home and vent. And I was like, why am I doing this? It's not like I'm getting paid a salary that warrants the crap I have to deal with. No. Nope. And even this year from you, like pertaining to you and I and our living situation, the amount of people who have reached out to us to do sits that we have turned yep. down, every time we say, sorry, we can't do this because it doesn't line up time-wise or the sit would in no way, yeah. in no way fuel yep. us, 
It feels so oh, good. Yes. I feel like no every time we do that, my no muscle gets a little stronger. It's like it's that moment of like, ooh, yeah, yes. I'm allowed to say no. Yes. It's kinky. It's kinky. <laughs> it like, is sexual. It is a, I have a yes. fetish for saying yes. no to people. Oh. It's on. And that's I why that. when I get something that leads me to a yes, I'm like, ooh, that's good. Because the nose, yeah. the nose are like my kink yeah. space now. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. I like it. 100%. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So I do have one yeah. last question for you, PJ. Yes. What is next on your deconditioning journey? The big thing is if something comes up in my life that I know I should do and I've been thinking about it and that it would benefit me and that I'm finding reasons not to do it, I immediately need to go through that door. Mm. It's I'm very good at procrastinating. And as I am demolishing this incredible fortress of procrastination that I've built over time, and as I'm sledgehammering it down brick by brick, I know that when my brain analyzes something and it's like, this would be really good for you. And I come up with a reason of like, I don't have the money. I don't know. Whatever it is. I need to go do that thing. If there's a, even a hint of me that is telling me, find a way to get it done or go do this. It's not just big things. It's very, if you look at the micro and macro, it's the micro things like don't sit down. Don't sit down right now. Stand. Your body would be better if you stand. Don't have coffee right now. Have something else. Don't eat this. Do that. Go here instead of there. It's every little decision. I'm very good when I allow myself at knowing what's best for me. And when I make decisions for myself, instead of considering anything else, it always leads me to the better, happier place. And the more I allow myself to live in this headspace, I really believe the world is just my oyster. Yes. Money will come. The work will come the more opportunities will come. It's the more I say yes to things and no to a lot more things, Mm -hmm. success is inevitable. And that's not to sound cocky or arrogant. It's just what is destined. Yeah. Yeah. You have an inner knowing now that you didn't have it before, that you are now able to take the opportunities that come with you and know exactly what needs to happen with them. What, whether it be no or yes or something yep. in between. Um, and that is such a gift and such a beautiful journey that thank you so much for sharing with us again. Um, it's been wonderful hearing the growth and the, the epiphanies that you've had um, in the last couple of years to bring you here. And I cannot wait to see what opportunity you walk through and just shine tremendously in. Yeah. Thank you, friend. Yay. Of course, friend. Yeah. So nice. The big thing that I've realized, and I'm very fortunate because of this crazy life that we are pursuing, I actually have the opportunity to step back and be like, is this serving me? Terms like settling down, like literally caused me chest pain. Like, (laughs) <laughs> because when I stop when I stop moving and I stop putting energy out there, I suffer. And 
I like to constantly be moving. I have a very hard time sitting still in general. It's why I could never do club drugs because I'm a walking, <laughs> like, like a walking methamphetamine. And it's, it's just like, I tried to keep myself inert for so long. And now that I can step back and especially when I'm moving and hiking and why being outside in the sunshine is so, so vital for me, I can see the landscape of my life before me. Yeah. And not everyone has the luxury of being able to stop and be like, let's change gears. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have the ability to say no to things. And it's never too late to start a new and pursue a new thing or do a new thing. You know, again, I hear things like there's not enough time in the day or da da da. It's like, yes, there is. If it means something to you, then you'll do it. And pertaining to like me with acting, it's all I've ever wanted to do. I spent 20 years ignoring that. And now I'm finally at this place where it's like, you know what? There are always going to be people who have more training or have done this longer. None of it matters because I am me Mm -hmm. and I will bring things that no one else has. And that's okay. And this journey has led to me finally returning to this place of being like, my journey is not going to culminate in the next year. It's ongoing for the next 70, 80 years. Why not? And I've never been more excited to journey. And that's because I've allowed myself to embrace what I am and where my energy is and how I look at the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And I I think the the last thing that I want to kind of just to bring this all together as discussing deconditioning projectors, I think what we've heard in your whole story, and I think the most important thing when it comes to deconditioning with anybody, but especially projectors who we're talking about today, it's all about focusing in on your own self-care, focusing in on your own space. Mm. Um, And for projectors especially, sometimes that means that you don't do anything today. Sometimes that means that self-care is more important today than getting work done. Sometimes that means that going for a hike is more important than, you know, uh, finishing up a project. It's, I, I think that when we as projectors are in that space when we're isolating, when we're doing the self-care, when we are creating that, when we're having that space for ourselves, that is how we build The same way that a generator or a manifesting generator is going to use their generator energy to take steps to build something, you're going to follow the thing that excites you and it's going to bring you to another thing and that's going to help you to build something like that you can see. This is taking those little steps to build like a dress, for instance, you're building. That's what projectors need to do with our energy. We need Mm. to literally focus on self-care in order to build the capacity to be able to do what we do best, which is see people. And we have this capacity to change the world because we can see it from a totally different perspective. But when we are not allowing ourselves to live from that different perspective, we are caught in cycles of believing we're supposed to be doing things the way that so many others do. 
I just want to make one final point off that because I think that's so vital to my realignment is Monday through Sunday means nothing anymore. Yeah, There is no, we have to do this on this day and this. I'm someone whose brain wants to be like, well, listen, maybe we could just schedule an hour of writing at this time every day. The reality is there's going to be one day, random day, where when I'm working on a script, I will spend six hours working on it. There will be no one hour from eight to nine and we'll set an (laughs) alarm and turn on the classical music. It's never going to happen. I I love the idea of it. I love the dedication. I'm not someone who can go to the gym at the same time. I can't do that at the same time. And once you obliterate, that's not how we're designed. And once you obliterate others' standards for how time works and how efficiency works, you can really start optimizing your own life path. Yeah, your own time. Well, on that note... Uh, time does matter in podcast land. So <laughs> I'd like to thank you for joining us. <laughs> yes. We are at time. Um, this has been such a wonderful conversation. And if you want to hear more about people's deconditioning journeys and what deconditioning looks like for you, definitely reach out to us because I would love to talk more about deconditioning journeys. This has been really enlightening and I'm very excited to hear more. So thank you, PJ, Yay. for joining us again. It's always a pleasure to hear you, your beautiful voice. You ladies are just so delightful. <laughs> what, what a fabulous time. Every time it's great. It's just, it's fulfilling. You're the best. You're wonderful. Mm. Just two gems. Mm. Sing our mm. praises more. Thank you. Mm. All Thank right. You. On that note. No, you don't have night. time. <laughs> if you like what you heard on this podcast, follow us on Instagram at Human Design in Real Time to keep up with our next episodes. And if you want to learn more about your own human design, I'd love to help you on your journey. You can head to my website, kayla-care.com to book an introductory human design session where we'll dive into the person you were born to be. That's K-A-Y-L-A dash C-A-R-E dot com. We're always looking for awesome humans to be guests on the podcast. So if you'd like to be interviewed, send us an email at humandesigninrealtime at gmail.com. This podcast is brought to you by Kayla Care. A big thank you to our amazing producer, sound mixer, designer, and editor, Sabrina Mason. Thank you to the composers of our theme song, Niall Spaulding and Sabrina Mason. Thank you to today's guests for being open and present with us. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting this podcast. Keep discovering your human Human design design in real time. time.